We've taken the opportunity in at least the last two weeks, I know, to discuss something I would entitle as a heading of the entire series, The Victors in Faith. I mention it that way because you may well remember those of you whom were here. On two weeks ago, we discussed what I entitled as the unsinkable faith of Noah. And how it was the case that when Noah built that grand old ship, that he did it the way that God intended on him doing it. And therefore, because of that, God saw him as being faithful, so much so that Noah was added under what we call Faith's Hall of Fame. That's Hebrews chapter 11. We move from there on to the next character, at least in order by the way of the chapter, on to the life of Abraham. And we spoke on last week how that Abraham, likewise, did not have unsinkable faith necessarily, but his faith was unwavering. And that as the Bible records, when God called for him to go out in a place, he went out not knowing whether he went. And as he made his way through that sojourn as a pilgrim, the Bible said, he found himself to be doing things that led to God knowing he was a faithful man likewise. Perhaps even the most faithful man who would ever live. Now, I want to continue there with you this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, but we're going to move on just a little bit in the scriptures. Down in the verse 17, now you're going to notice immediately by about the third word or so, we are still talking about the character or the man named Abraham. And just as he was a man of unwavering faith, as we mentioned last week, today I want you to consider that he likewise was a man of unthinkable faith. Because the test that he would endure the trial that's discussed here and that he was tried of God was perhaps as great as any man could ever endure. But yet, as we would say it in colloquial terms, he passed with flying colors and he set himself up to be the father of all them who believe, as the Bible says he was. Now, Hebrews 11 and verse 17 to begin says, And by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac that thy seed shall be called, according that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence he also received in him a figure. Now, I don't want to leave this context without pointing out one or two things, and that has to do with mainly that we notice that Abraham is going to be tried. Now when we speak of the word tried, we are speaking of the word that is related to trial. We are speaking of a word that sometimes can be translated even as to tempt, but literally it means to test. That is that the Bible records here, and yea, it will even record as we move back in the Old Testament in a moment, that Abraham, this man, was tested by God. Now I want to point out something under that heading there. When we are tested, friends, we are not always tested, or typically at least not tested, with God saying, I want you to give away or give up or do away with something that you do not like. No, God always tests us to remove from our lives something that we do like, or in this case, even love. And so when you look into your life, as I have done in mine, and will continue to do, I suppose, as long as I stand this side of eternity, and I think about the test or the trials that I'm caused to endure, I need to understand in the forefront, before those things even occur, that it may be the case that when God attempts, or at least suggests that He might take away something that I love in life, it may very well be God only simply attempting to test or try me. 
Second, I want to point out before we leave this scripture that the Bible says, and we don't have time to get to it today, but the Bible says that him being accounted of God to be able to raise his son from the dead, that this in a way, he says, which received in a figure. And that is, we won't take the time to do it, but most everything, not everything, but most everything you find in the account and the discussion today so far as what occurs in the life of Abraham and compared with and alongside his only begotten son Isaac is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I hope that whets your appetite to look into those things, to study those things, and maybe one day we might discuss those things, but we don't have the time for it today. But speaking under the heading of the unthinkable faith of Abraham, go back with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. That is the account that is spoken of here in the context. If you will, the Hebrews writer chose only there to give us a brief overview, a synopsis, we might say a Cliff's Notes even, of what is supposed to be known or learned at least from the book of Genesis chapter 22. But read with me, if you would, the first two verses and divide this chapter in half, if you will, as I have done, to say that we will first make an account of the record that's basically verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to make an account of the reward that comes, and that's verses 13 through 18. Now, the heading of the record, look at the first two verses. The Bible says, and it came to pass that after these things that God did tempt, now see, that's a different word from the word tried, over in the New Testament, but it is the same word in essence that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac. Now just to pause right here for a disclaimer, we might misunderstand this text and say, Oh no, I've read preceding chapters and I know that this is not the only son of Abraham being Isaac. Abraham had other children. As a matter of fact, he had one child at least before this time known as Ishmael by his handmaid Hagar. Friends, God is looking down for the child that he gave him. God is looking down for what in that case was a miraculous child. Isaac here being born to Abraham and Sarai at that point as she was over 90 and he was over 100 years old. But nevertheless, he speaks of him as being the only son, Isaac. He says, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering, which is one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. The first thing I want you to do, and we're just dividing the record now. For memory's sake, for understanding's sake, for illustration's sake, the first thing I may want you to notate in your minds, if not on paper, is this, and that is that this record began with what I would call an unbelievable test. In the unthinkable faith of Abraham, it began with an unbelievable test. I think you and I can relate to that, especially as parents and grandparents and and at least those who know children and anyone of the sort can relate to the unbelievable test he was called upon to endure. As a matter of fact, on last week, someone, I forget who it was, but someone in this room perhaps met me at the back and made mention even, not knowing where we might be this week, but they made mention of the fact that they knew that Abraham was faithful. They knew that Abraham was one who could be tested because as they went ahead and related to, they said, you know, he was called on to offer his son, his only son. And they went on to say, and I agree with them, I could not do that. 
Friends, I can remember in my ignorance, as a younger man at least, before having children, reading across this and saying, well, Abraham's a faithful man and, and so would I be. As you well know, you have your family to have a child brought into it, whether it be son or daughter. Suddenly our perspective on things change in this order. Suddenly we begin to understand that this itself, it was an unbelievable test. Something that we cannot fathom, we cannot imagine. Oh, I would like to think, surely you would. Surely you would like to think that if you encountered a situation like this, if God called down and said, take your child, maybe an only child even, take that child, sacrifice him or her on an altar, take their life, I would like to think that in that I could stand up and say, God, whatever it is you will me to do, let me go and do it. Let me obey thee to the nth degree. Let me do what you commanded of me. I would like to think that is the case. Friends, it's simply probably not. You know, maybe if my faith had been proven already as Abraham was earlier in the context of Hebrews and also the book of Genesis, maybe if I'd gone out and sojourned and become that pilgrim, maybe if my attitude and my faith had been already formed to some extent or a greater extent maybe than it is at this moment, maybe. But then I'm fearful to say I would probably still have my doubts. You think about that. We are going to be faced and have been faced, many of us already, and you have to relate these accounts and these stories and these memories in your mind, but we are facing sometimes things that seemingly unbelievable taste. We would say it in this way, maybe that they were unsurmountable, that maybe there was no way that we could fathom or imagine that we could endure such things. And you can just think in your mind what those things may have been or maybe will be. And know that they may come. But second, not only do we review this and make a record of it to know that it is what is unbelievable, but it required for him unconditional obedience. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, says he saddled his donkey and took his two young men with him and his son Isaac, and he clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. Now I want to make the point that we always make, that we always consider here, and that is that his faith was that which was unconditional, number one, because he just simply rose up and went. The Bible points out here, and I don't think anything is ever inspired to be written by accident, but the Bible points out so carefully here that he rose up early in the morning. Now all I can do is make this personal. I hope that you can take yourself there with me. If and when, if and when we were asked to do what was discussed in verses 1 and 2, to sacrifice our child, would I not be so careful as to think God commanded me maybe this in a vision or in this case in a dream the night before. He spoke to me of whatever it would be and I would think to myself, you know, a day contains 24 hours. And so I'm not willing to get up early in the morning, God. What I'm going to do is I may lounge around or I may do this or do that because, God, I know that literal days, as you created them, were 24-hour periods of time. And I know, God, that when I arise in the morning, as that day has begun, I still have hours upon hours to consider, to contemplate, to set myself to do this. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say he rose up and tarried. It says he rose up and went. 
Second to that, the scriptures reveal here, not only did he do it in that matter, you have to understand that he did not squabble with God either. He didn't squabble, he didn't speak, he didn't stall. He didn't look to God and say, now wait a minute, God. Uh, as you well know, God, you have an only son that you promised. He's not here, at least in fruition yet, but you promised a son, God. And, and so you know what this is like. Matter of fact, God, you created Adam and Eve. And, and you know all the creations that you have made. And, and God, you know man. And you know what is in man. And, and so you ought to know how I feel, God. And this just doesn't make sense. It's not fair. He didn't do that either, did he? Bible says he rose up early and went. You might think about it this way. We have no record at all. And I believe that we are given everything that we need in this context to know what God intended. And therefore, I, I feel as if we are left with nothing wondering. We find nothing here where Abraham rose up early in the morning and had a conversation with his wife. At that time, her name was Sarai. And discuss with her the events of the day and discuss with her the possible outcome. We have none of that. None of that. And you and I well know as we live and breathe sometimes in relationships, marriages, then we know that that's something that might ought to have been at least a part of our consideration. We find nothing in the record of that sort. The Bible says, and he rose up early in the morning and he went. Then notice here. The latter part of that verse says that when it comes to that, neither did he squabble about where he would go. The Bible said in the preceding verse, God speaking, I will tell thee of. The last phrase there in verse 3 says, which God hath told him. So he wasn't left in the dark as long perhaps as we might think. He, he had the facts. He had the information. He had what he needed to go on. And he was looking for that place. This was all a part of the preceding journey. It was all a part of the pilgrimage, all a part of the sojourn that he was involved in. Now, how does all of that relate? Friends, you and I, when we encounter unbelievable tests, we also must have the unconditional obedience that Abraham did and just do what God says. No squabble, no stall, no speech, none of that sort. Just do what God says. But isn't that often the shortfall of mankind as a whole, really? Uh, it's not that mankind, especially in these United States, it's not that so many people are so ignorant that they do not know of God. It's not that so many people, and there are some, but, but that so many are so ignorant of Jesus Christ and so unlearned of the Bible. It's not that. It's that when they hear the commands of God, and I'm as guilty as anyone in this at times, they simply are not willing to obey. You know, what do you what do you just consider? Maybe the punishment might have been. I don't know that there would have been any, but let's consider if Abraham had just said, you know what, I've heard God, that's an unbelievable test, but there will be no obedience in this one. I've gone as far as I'm going to go. I've walked my last mile, God, in his spiritual life. And imagine he rose up early in the morning and did nothing. What might have been the punishment? It's simply a matter of suggestion for our understanding. Maybe it's not true, but maybe God would have slain Abraham. In light of that, we can understand from human standards that if God would take my life simply because I chose not to take the life of my son, that's not really a bad trade. But he obeyed. 
Thirdly, when we make notice of this record, we have to understand there was an unbelievable test. There was unconditional obedience. Notice this. There was an unwavering trust also. Notice with me verse 4 to begin the latter of this also. He says, And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place. That's the one he was told about in verse 3. The one he was promised to be told about up in verse number 2. He lifted up his eyes and saw the place, the Bible says, afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. Now we'll come back to that point in a moment. And the Bible adds in verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife and they both went them together. Verse 7, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father. Now I would be the character Isaac, I'm sure, right here. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father... And he said, Son, and he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, can you hear it that way? And then in verse 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide a lamb for a burnt offering. We're not ready to make the point, but you hear it. God will provide for him a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both went, both of them together. What is this? Friends, in my mind, this is the unwavering trust that we find in not just one of these men, but yet even both. When you think about what is under consideration here, you have to know that one, Abraham reckoned the return. He reckoned their return. That's what he told the young men that were with him. That's what he told the ones that were helping him move these supplies toward that mountain at least. He said, you stay here and my son and I, Isaac, we will go yonder and worship and what? Return again unto you. That's trust. What sense does that make? Abraham had dealt with God before. Abraham had dealt with God from the perspective of if God says it, I'll do it. Once and now even again, if God says it, I'll do it. God says, Abraham, you take your son. You take him on the mountain. You slay him. You sacrifice him. You offer him as a burnt offering on an altar. He couldn't miss what it was. Abraham, who had sacrificed time and time again, knew what that meant. It meant death. It meant that dead men, dead animals, whatever the case, do not return. But he saw a way. He reckoned their return. Now, I don't know what that could have done in the lives of those young men that were left behind. I don't know what they found. We have no record of them questioning that. We have no record of them wondering or being concerned about that. Abraham just simply made a statement. You stay here. We'll go there and we'll come again unto you. Verse 5. That's all we know. But what if, what if in my life I could think about it from this perspective? Yes, there'll be a day when I will pass from this life physically. Yes, there'll be a day when I will cease from living in this life. And yes, there'll be a day when my family or friends, if they be left behind, may, may have a, an emptiness. They may have a, a, a part of them that seemingly is lost. I don't know if that be the case, but if it were the case, 
I'm not saying I'm going to return per se, but we'll be joined again if they're faithful. That's our prayer. He reckoned his return second in that. Not only did he do that, he sought the supply. You know, Abraham noted here to his son, and just to discuss what is mentioned here, Isaac says to Abraham, Father, I see this, I see the wood, I see the fire, I see all that we need, I see all the supplies, but I do not see a lamb to be offered. He had done this before. We might say he had been there, he had done that, Isaac had. He knew what was supposed to be there. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide. It's interesting to me at this point that we don't find any record here of Abraham having to argue with that child or son. We don't have any record of Abraham having to go into an in-depth discussion or explanation of what is about to occur, what's going to take place. Make no excuse. Because we're talking about a man here in Abraham especially who says that I reckon I return, who says that I'm going to seek after the supply because God's going to give it. Let me tell you this. We've already mentioned it way back in the beginning. This is a picture of Christ. In the same sense as this, God provided for Abraham. We know the rest of the story. God provided for Abraham a lamb in the same way He provides for us a lamb known as Jesus Christ. He did it then. And he's done it again for us. Ought we not be the same? So what do we have then? We have in the heading of this record, we have the unbelievable test. We have unconditional obedience being found here. We have unwavering trust. But notice this one here. It's a big one. We also have unquestionable submission. Now, we've already related this several times concerning Abraham, but notice the words again. The son asks, verse 7, where is the lamb? Abraham says God will provide it. But look at verse 9. And they came to a place which God told them of. Same one from verse 2 and 3 and 4. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, certainly, and bound Isaac his son. That's going to be a key. And bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar. Another key. And upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Verse 12. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest, that is respect, reverence God, seeing that thou hast watched this strangely enough, not withheld thine son Isaac from me. What are we talking about? We are talking here about unquestionable submission. Now Abraham has been a part of this all the while. Abraham, even from the beginning, took the unbelievable test. He led into unconditional obedience. He was the one who had unwavering trust, there's no doubt. But now he conjoined with his son even. They both stand in this, I believe, had unquestionable submission. How do we know? Because the Bible says Abraham did what God asked. He had already done the part of traveling. He had already done the part of making his way to the mountain. He has now found the mountain. And now he did what God asked. He took his son. 
After building the altar, putting the fire thereon, the wood at least, he took his son and he laid his son bound on the altar. Here's the question. Was he doing what God said? Yes, absolutely he was. Was, therefore, Isaac doing what his father was commanded to do? You say, well, he was simply a bystander in this. This, this account's not about Isaac. It's all about Isaac. In the picture of Christ, certainly, but still, it's, it's all about Isaac. How? Friends, I think we have a misconception here. Sometimes we miss the point. And, and mind you, let's illustrate if Isaac, let's suppose, little Isaac, the lad, the Bible calls him, King James translation, let's suppose the lad was, say, old five years old. Then certainly a grown man could probably, with, with pretty much ease, could take a five-year-old boy and bind him up and put him on an altar. Not a whole lot that child could do. He might not enjoy it, but he could do it. But we're misunderstanding what's really going on. It's most likely the case, most likely, that this son Isaac was no five-year-old boy. He was probably at least, at the least, a teenager. Perhaps even a grown man. And some believe, and I, I tend to lean this way, he may have to fulfill the picture or the figure that the Hebrews writer referred to being somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, some odd, maybe even three years old. As Christ would be. As Christ would be slain there on an altar. Maybe, just maybe, Isaac was of that age. You say, well, I, I don't know about that. If Isaac was a teenager or a young adult or any of these, you can see very easily the son was born unto Abraham roughly when Abraham was 100 years old. If this son be of any age, teen-wise, maybe, just maybe, Abraham is well over 100 years old now. Ask yourself this. Could a 100-year-old man typically grab and bind a son of that age and lift him and place no no he couldn't I couldn't prove it if I tried but I believe here because of the unquestionable submission of Abraham there became an unquestionable submission of Isaac likewise in some way, whether it be by merely giving himself up, by allowing himself to be submissive in some way, it seems that Isaac allowed himself to be bound. And maybe even after he allowed, maybe he even assisted himself in being lifted to the altar. I don't know that. But friends, through the power of God, is not all of these things possible. They are. Again, this is the same young man who, when given an answer earlier by his father there in verses 7 and 8, made no argument. He simply submitted. Now, I said all of that to say this. If I am, or if you are, or if anyone would, have what I would call in this unthinkable faith, no, first and foremost, we like Abraham may encounter an unbelievable test where God will respect and, and, and expect from us unconditional obedience, where therefore God will note in our lives if we have unwavering faith and if we have an unquestionable submission, God will notate, God will see all of those things. 
But here's the thing. If I were to even attempt to endure this, if I were to put forth the effort to obey God, to try to do this, would I not, in human perspective, would I not ask something similar to this? God, what's in it for me? Maybe we would shorten the question to be only one word. Why? Why, God? Friends, in behind this record, we have also the reward. Thanks be to God that in this record, God answers the question, why? Notice what happens here. Notice what the reward was, beginning in verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. There is a replacement, you see. He offered him before an offering in the stead of his son, verse 14. And Abraham called the name of the place, do not miss this, Jehovah Jireh. That's how you say it. Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. You say, that's not what the scriptures say. That's really the meaning of the word says in the scriptures here, and he called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said, or as people spoke of it later, it is said, to this day in the mount of the Lord shall be seen. Now here's some of the pictures that we find. We find that it was on this mount, which turned out to be the Mount of Moriah. It was on a mount like this, where Isaac was taken, where the sacrifice was supposed to be committed, where God even gave him credit for fulfilling that sacrifice. It's as if he did it. God gave him that much credit. It would be in a mount like that that Christ would be sacrificed likewise. Because in this mountain, the Lord would be seen. In this mountain, Abraham, even then, he saw the face of the Lord. Not physically, certainly not. Not in any any wise in that way, but he saw God's presence there with him. Now that's what I want to note with you. Notice what I'm going to call on this heading of the reward. There was an unlimited contribution. An unlimited contribution. Now what are those contributions? Number one, God provided that quote-unquote lamb in a thicket. Now, it was a ram, R-A-M. But in sacrificial terms, it was a lamb, L-A-M-B, a replacement there for Isaac. That's what the Scripture said. Now, I have to understand that. I have to know that when I go through and do what God says, when I obey Him, when I show forth faith, then God provides for me and has provided, ultimately, Jesus Christ as a lamb already. It's done. I may not access that. I may not acquisition it to myself. But that is a done deal. It's over. Christ died for all men. And for all them that obey Him. God provided for Him a lamb. But you see, that's what we know. That's the the Jehovah Jireh here. That's to say God provides a lamb. God provides. God provides. But He provided more than that. Not only do we see this unlimited contribution in the Lamb, the next thing we note in this is that He provided the strength to go through the difficult times. I realize that we're talking about the unthinkable faith of Abraham. And I realize that as Romans 15, 4 commands us to do, 
to look back to the Old Testament to use them for our learning. We, through patience and discomfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. The Bible says there that we study the Old Testament Scriptures so that we can know, so we can learn. I realize we're using this man's life for this. God intends it to be that way. But where did he really find his strength? In God. Nowhere else and no one else but in God. What does that let me know? Keep these in order because God's already provided the lamb and therefore we now have through that lamb access to God. Through the shedding of that blood, God provides for us strength also. No matter how difficult the time. No matter the situation, God provides for us the strength to go through this difficult time. Number three. Not only does he provide a lamb, does he provide a strength, but he provides also wisdom. And here I'm talking about the wisdom to know how to, apparently, deal with his son. Not to reread it, but again, verses 7 and 8 tell us that Isaac had concerns. Isaac did have some question. Isaac did not see the typical implements of sacrifice. Isaac said, I see the wood, I see this, I see, the, I, but I don't see the lamb. What would have you have done? At that point, honestly, I may have fallen on my face and not just tears, but weeping and tried then to explain to what could have been a teenager, maybe a grown man, and tried to explain there to him what I knew that God wanted to do, what I intended to do, and what I expected God would do. What did he expect? The Hebrews writer we hadn't really emphasized Abraham just thought, I'll slay him. That's all fine and good. But some way, the Hebrews writer said, God will raise him up again. Somehow he told the servants, we'll be back. But what I'm saying is God gave Abraham the wisdom not to do what I would have done, which is to lay there in pity and in shame and try to explain, to try to wrap my son's mind around what was about to occur. He didn't do it. He said this, God will provide that's all maybe there was some wisdom there in Isaac Isaac didn't say provide what when where how he didn't ask any of that friends in the same manner because tying these together God has provided the lamb God gives us strength to endure difficult times because of that God gives us the wisdom to know how and more than that sometimes he gives us the wisdom to show others how to endure things. But not only that, does he provide for us a lamb? And so he did he, strength and wisdom, but he provides stability. What I mean by that is emotional stability. I reference what I would do. I would be laying there weeping on the ground. I don't know that I could have controlled myself. I think I may have, if I had gone this far, maybe maybe I'd have started up the mountain. And as soon as, as Isaac recognized the troubles and the differences in what was typical, as soon as Isaac said, well, Dad, how about this? And what about, where's the land? I'd probably duck and run. I would probably, surely at that point, have an emotional breakdown, as we call it. And when people have those, those are difficult. Those are severe. They're usually not something we can control. Or if someone would suggest we snap out of, that's not always possible. Abraham didn't do that. Where did he find that? In God. He found stability in God. And then finally here. Not only does he find this unlimited contribution in all of those, 
He finds it in God himself. That's been the essence of all of this. But he finds it in God himself. No matter if he ever saw a ram caught in a thicket. No matter if he ever felt like he had the strength. No matter if he ever had had the wisdom to properly answer Isaac. No matter if he ever had the emotional stability. If he had lain upon that altar and wept and wept and wept for hours. He could have known at the least in this. God provided himself. God was with him there. If there is a picture, what the Hebrews writer called a figure of Christ, there is none better than this. God was there. And as we well know, God is with us also. No matter the test, no matter the trial. Now, just to read over the last thing that is mentioned here so that we do complete the context. The Bible adds there, beginning in verse 15, And the angel of the Lord, and we know how this works out. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast, watch it, done this thing. Yes, God saw it as good as done. Because thou hast done this thing, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. In multiplying I will multiply thee. Thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand upon which the seashore, in thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Verse 18. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. What is this? Friends, we have not only an unlimited contribution, but we also have an unforgettable commendation. God commended Abraham right here. Had Abraham done great things by traveling and, and moving forward as God had said in the earlier context of Hebrews and, and in here, Genesis, yes, he had done great things. But at that moment, at the very moment that God says, I'm going to provide this lamb, at the moment that God says, here is your lamb, at the moment that Abraham noted the lamb, brought the lamb, did what God said, fulfilled it all, the hand was stopped. God gave him an unforgettable commendation. You say, how is it unforgettable? I would argue that Abraham never forgot this either. I don't think this was happenstance and part of his past, and that's all that I think he remembered this till the day he stepped foot inside of eternity. But the ones who need not forget it, it's not the man Abraham of old, it's us. And then we see here that through obedience, as Abraham was commended for what he had done, so we through obedience are commended for our faith and obedience to God also. To me, it's a portion of unthinkable faith. Noted surely within this record, but also found within the reward. What God has offered us in His Son, Jesus Christ. You're here this morning, you're not a child of God's. I want to tell you, God provided that lamb. We've already said it several times. God gave a lamb known as his only begotten son. Just as Isaac was pictured as being Abraham's only begotten, so Jesus was and is. God gave that lamb. 
It's the first time actually that a sacrifice, instead of being given from man to God, was given from God to man. It's the only sacrifice God literally ever made on our behalf. And he did it for every individual who would ever walk. He did it for you. You're here this morning, you're not a child of God. Please, I beg of you, God would beg. Abraham may beg. Isaac would certainly tell it. Obey him today. Through faith, that's what Abraham began with. Repentance, confession, being baptized, you can put on Christ. That's why the sacrifice was ever committed in the Son of our God. You can be baptized, therefore, and have your sins to be washed away. And you can take part now in such unthinkable faith. You may never do it. You may never perform it. But you can now consider rightly and deeply what God must have endeavored and dealt with. Maybe it's the case you're a child of God's. And for whatever reason, you you just can't imagine your faith ever being this. I'm with you there. But are you faithful enough to do what God asks? That's the question. Have you been faithful enough to maintain your life, to keep yourself from habitual sin? If not... Why not come home through prayer and repentance? Why together we stand as we sing?